Continuing tonight in Revelation chapter 17, this is the mystery of Babylon the Great, part two. And I pray that we do take joy tonight in the victory that the Lord has, the victory that He has over the mystery of lawlessness that has fought against His kingdom, His rule, and His sovereign grace from time, in this case, immemorial. Revelation chapter 17, this parenthetical section that explains that which Christ is destroying in the chapters that came before it, and it says that one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on the earth have become drunk. And carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and and had seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of the abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great the mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. And indeed he should. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is and or excuse me, boy, this gave me trouble last time. Here we go again. The the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind of wisdom. Seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is and the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. And as for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven. And it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings, who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind. There's a lot of confusing stuff that's said right here. This is a mystery being revealed, but if there's one thing you really need to grab onto, it's this statement. These are of one mind. And they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the Lamb. Good luck with that. The Lamb will conquer them, for He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. The angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. 
They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire for God has put it into their hearts to carry out His purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. I think you can probably reference Pharaoh out of Romans chapter 9 here. The woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Well, here we have seen the depiction and the description of Babylon the Great, this kind of parenthetical section where we pull away for a minute and and John is caught up spiritually to a quote-unquote wilderness where he sees this image that is proclaiming the nature of a spiritual reality to him, a woman arrayed in purple and scarlet with gold and jewels and pearls and a golden cup in her hands full of abominations, literally detestable things. She is a mystery. The mother of prostitutes and the mother of the earth's abominations, drunk with the blood of the saints and the martyrs of Jesus Christ. It requires wisdom to understand. Her harlotry is both spiritual in nature, but it is also commercial in nature. For she is the mother of all prostitutes. Not simply... (laughs) of the ones that stand on the corner. She brings forth further prostitution. The very mystery of lawlessness in its propagation. Fallen angel and fallen man together in rebellion against their Creator and she will have success for a season. But the season will come to an end. The place of her abiding is upon many waters, not literally speaking, as we saw the last time we were together, but instead the waters are made up of peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. She is not comprised of the nations, but she is seated upon them. We ended the last time we were together here in Revelation 17 with the statement that Babylon the Great is the timeless manifestation of the rebellion of fallen angel and fallen men false worship, and godless gain. She has existed in different places and under different names to varying degrees throughout the history of this world. And here at the end of the days, her expression comes to its full. She is seated on the beast. As a matter of fact, it says the beast carries her. She is dependent upon it. And so tonight... We consider the beast. It is scarlet. It has seven heads and ten horns. And it's full of blasphemous names. People get really concerned with those things. And I think the angel explains them pretty well. Even if it is a little bit convoluted as it comes across into the English. I think that he explains it pretty well. One of the things that is most interesting to me is the nature of the existence of the beast in time. Much like the harlot, it was, it is not, and it is about to rise and go to destruction. There is a relationship that the beast has with Babylon the Great. It carries her on one hand, and yet the angel says that it hates her on the other. And that because it hates her, it will make her desolate and naked. It will devour her flesh and burn her with fire. And all of this requires a mind of wisdom. The very wisdom of God Himself is necessary to understand. For it says, I'll remind you in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 9, this calls for a mind of wisdom. 
seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen, one is and the other has not yet come, and when he does come, he must remain only for a little while. Let's consider tonight the mind of wisdom that is necessary to understand the nature of the beast on which the harlot rides. If you really want to understand it, you've got to go back to Daniel. And we're not going to do that tonight, but if you're familiar with the book, you would be familiar with the nature of the rise and fall of the governments of men that are the expression of the mystery of lawlessness that is described throughout the last half of the book of Daniel. These different beasts that have arisen beginning with the Babylonians and moving on to the Medo-Persians, then to the Greeks, and finally to Rome, and then Rome 2.0. This is a 710 beast, if you will. This concept is used <clears throat> excuse me, both of Satan himself in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 3 and the Antichrist government in Revelation chapter 13 verse 1. In Revelation chapter 12 verse 3 it says, Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, the great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his heads seven diadems. Likewise, in chapter 13 verse 1, I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. But here we see a piece of information, the mystery that is being revealed by the angel according to the wisdom of God that was not included in the first two statements, and that is this, that the seven heads are indeed seven mountains. Now, prophetically speaking, mountains typically symbolize the seat of power. The seat of power both spiritually as well as governmentally among men. Spoken of this way about Christ's kingdom in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. Now it will come about that in the last days the mountain of the house of the Lord, not any particular mountain, but the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And the one thing that we know for sure about the mystery of lawlessness, the one thing we know for sure about the beast, about Satan's kingdom, is it is mimetic in nature. It mimics that which it desires to be. And so what is true of the Lord's kingdom is certainly true of Babylon. In Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 25, Behold, I am against you, O destroying mountain, who destroys the whole earth, declares the Lord. And I will stretch out my hand against you and roll you down from the crags, and I will make you a burnt out mountain. I would have you note that if you, and you shouldn't, but if you do, you run onto them by accident every now and then. If you follow the preterists, the preterist view is that these seven mountains signify Rome since it is supposedly the city built on seven hills. The problem with that is here the angel declares to John that these are not only seven mountains, but they're also seven kings. A monarchy. It's not surprising 
that the kingdoms are identified with their king for as goes the king, so goes the kingdom. There is a progression of these mountains. There is a progression of these kings. These things, these, these heads are both the, they're the, the authority, the spiritual reality by which governance is made, and it is the man in which it is embodied in. In the progression of these kings, five have fallen. I think if you look back to Daniel, we look back to, to the Song of Moses, I think we can identify them. Egypt and Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and Greece. Amenhotep II, the first archetype of the Antichrist that we see proper as it relates to the nation of Israel. Sennacherib, the leader of the Assyrian horde, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian, Artaxerxes, the Persian, and Alexander, the Greek. But number one is Rome. First century B.C. The first is to come. The revived Roman Empire of the Antichrist. Five have fallen. One is. And one is to come. Five have already come and gone. When John wrote this, the one that existed was Rome 1.0, but there was another one to come. And he was of the ones that came before him. The revived Rome of the Antichrist, Antichrist similar but yet different from the first Rome. And when it, it exists, its power will only be for a short time. And when it rises, man, and I think this is the point. I hope you agree with me. Man, everybody wants to get wound up in all the numbers and the what-ifs and all of those things. Man, the point of speaking about the nature of the beast in Revelation chapter 17 is that when it rises in its final form, what it will be is cut down. It will be destroyed by the power of Christ Himself. Then there will be a fourth kingdom. This is Daniel chapter 2. There will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron. Inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things, so like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. And that you saw the feet and toes partially of potter's clay and partially of iron. It will be a divided kingdom. But it will have in it the toughness of iron inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. As the toes of the feet were partially of iron and partially of pottery, so the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. In that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. Man, lawlessness thinks. It thinks, it believes that if you can bring enough of the pieces of the puzzle of the image bearers of God together into one place, you can replicate the fullness of the image. And it is wrong. 
it will not work. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for any other people. It will crush and put to an end all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron and the bronze and the clay and the silver and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future so the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Yet, of these kings, there is another. In verse 11 it says, As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven. And it goes... To destruction. The eighth king of Revelation chapter 17, verse 11, is not an eighth king unto his own right. He belongs to the seven that came before him. He is the one who was and is not and is to come. The eighth king is Satan himself indwelling a falsely resurrected Antichrist. The seventh who received the mortal wound and yet was healed. He is nothing less than the man of lawlessness that is the personification of the mystery of lawlessness. And his time is only a little while. As a matter of fact, the book of Daniel, especially if you look at the new at the King James translation, speaks about him as being small in time. He is the little horn as is translated in, um, in the ESV and the New King James. And that concept of little doesn't mean small in stature. It, it, it doesn't mean small in, certainly in effect. He's short in time. His time is only a little while, which is why in Revelation chapter 12, verse 12, It is proclaimed, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. You ask people what they want to study, and one of the things that often comes up is I want to study, you know, Revelations, which right off the bat we want to correct that and say it's not Revelations plural, it's Revelation singular. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Nothing less than that will suffice. And if you understand what Jesus said about the revelation of Himself that was to come with John, if you really want to understand this book, you've got to understand Daniel first. It's literally the same book. You see the scroll opened in Daniel. You see the first half of it read and then it's sealed up for the time of the end. The time of the end has come and the scroll is opened and now you see the rest. You can't understand one without understanding the other. But if you think that any of this is about ferreting out the nature of rebellion and all of the mystery of its code... You're wrong. It's all about the display of the glory of Jesus Christ as He conquers His enemies and saves His people. Period. That's what it's about. So there were seven. And in the day of John's writing, five had come. One was. One is yet to come. 
and there's an eighth. But he's of the seven. Because one of these guys is going to take a mortal wound. And when he comes back three days later, what's looking out of his eye sockets is not the same being that was there before. Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. The course of the historical beast, that being Rome, mimics the course of the person of the beast, that being the Antichrist. It was. It is not. And it is to come. As goes the king, so goes the kingdom. This particular beast has ten horns, which are ten kings. As much as I would like to continue, I think I'm out of time. Mark, you want to pray for us?